Hey, hey, welcome to the Culture Center Classroom Podcast, a space for educators looking to step into their power by creating a classroom environment and lessons that affirm, welcome, and celebrate all their students through instruction. I'm your host, Jocelyn Hubbard, an educator, teacher coach, wife, mother to five children, and your partner on this journey of creating culture-centered classrooms. Let's jump into the episode. With winter break quickly approaching in the United States, things are winding down in classrooms everywhere. Things are also winding down for this season of the podcast. There will be two episodes in addition to this one, and I will be pushing pause on publishing until Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. Oh my gosh, that is wild. It's bananas that 2023 is literally a few weeks away. In these season two finale episodes, I want to leave you with some thoughts to reflect on, some strategies to consider implementing at the top of the year, and some resource suggestions to elevate your teaching and learning practices. This podcast is all about creating a culture-centered classroom. What does that mean, though? I have gone into some detail in previous episodes, but as you and I grow and learn on this journey, I want to consistently and intentionally reinsert a definition. I will continue to go deeper in explaining the key components of a culture-centered classroom. In previous episodes, I mostly focused on the culture-centered classroom as a space that affirms, welcomes, and celebrates all students through instruction because the teacher is consistently working toward being culturally competent and leverages the understanding of individual student cultures to inform learning, lesson designs, supplemental resource selection, and so on. In today's episode, I want to elevate that definition by positing that a culture-centered classroom is a student-centered classroom. It's a classroom where the teacher prioritizes creating an equity-focused, culturally aware, diversity-affirming learning experience and environment. And that is how we strategically and intentionally affirm, welcome, and celebrate all of our students through instruction. So in these final episodes, I'm breaking down each of these components equity-focused, culturally aware, diversity-affirming. Today, I'll talk about equity in education and share three tips for centering equity in the classroom to support all your students. I'm going to begin with a definition because you know I love a good definition. According to the National Association of Colleges and Employers, Equity, quote, refers to fairness and justice and is distinguished from equality. Whereas equality means providing the same to all, equity means recognizing that we do not all start from the same place and must acknowledge and make adjustments to imbalances. The process is ongoing, requiring us to identify and overcome intentional and unintentional barriers arising from bias or systematic structures, end quote. According to the National Equity Project, quote, educational equity means that each child receives what they need to develop their full academic and social potential, end quote. Their website also goes on to say that, quote, working towards equity in schools involves, one, ensuring equally high outcomes for all participants in our educational system, removing the predictability of success or failures that currently correlates with any social or cultural factor. Two, 
interrupting inequitable practices, examining biases, and creating inclusive multicultural school environments for adults and children. And number three, discovering and cultivating the unique gifts, talents, and interests that every human possesses. Before I tease out these definitions and present the tips for centering equity in your classroom, I want to also share a definition I found on Wikipedia. As you may already know, equity is not just a term used in education. It is more commonly used in finance. As I was browsing definitions, I looked at the Wikipedia definition of equity in finance. It states, quote, in finance, equity is ownership of assets that may have debts or other liabilities attached to them. Equity is measured for accounting purposes by subtracting liabilities from the value of the assets. For example, if someone owns a car worth $24,000 and owes $10,000 on the loan used to buy the car, the difference is $14,000 and that is the equity. I really liked the idea of considering debts or liabilities against assets because the trick of life is that there are many people, many students, that are written off as too much of a liability to make any substantial investment. In reality, however, these are the people, the students, who are very valuable assets because they have untapped potential. In my mind, educational equity means, among other things, shifting our understanding of debts and liabilities. It means shifting our understanding of potential and assets. Because right now, a bunch of people are saying a lot of stuff about having an equity lens and creating equitable spaces, but they are really only on that train until the money runs dry or the trends change. Okay, so let's you and I Let's do all that we can to make sure equity isn't just a trend. Let's you and I do the work to make sure equity isn't only valuable when it's connected to more money in the budget. Now, let's think about a few strategies that will help you center the equity lens as you design lessons, select resources, and communicate with students and their community, all the things. The National College... The National Association of Colleges and Employers said that, quote, equity means recognizing that we do not all start from the same place and must acknowledge and make adjustments to imbalances. The process is ongoing, requiring us to identify and overcome intentional and unintentional barriers arising from bias or systematic structures. With that being said, the first tip for centering equity is to intentionally be working toward cultural competence. This means being aware of your cultural norms, beliefs, practices, ways of being, on and on and on. It means becoming aware of how your lived experiences impact the way you view and show up as a person and an educator in this world. The biases, something that everyone has, but everyone is not willing to acknowledge, so real change can't actually happen. Those are the things that you start to become aware of as you develop into a culturally competent individual. I was actually on a coaching call today with a school leader and we were talking about how there are opportunities to grow and become more aware of cultural competence everywhere. It's in the little things. So the example that she shared in our coaching session was how 
they, at this school, there is a celebration of Christmas and they were putting out fake trees, trees that needed to be assembled. And she had some of the middle school students come down and help her with this project. They looked at these trees and they were like, what are we supposed to do with these trees? And she was like, seriously, what do you mean? The students said, I mean, you said we had trees, but I see these boxes and I see all these different parts. And it hit her that they had a different lived experience than her. When she asked them if they had trees at home and what type of trees they were, they were like, we get real trees. So they had not had the experience of putting together a fake tree. That right there at the very tiniest bit is an opportunity to grow in becoming a culturally competent educator, right? It's not always like just about race and ethnicity and all these deep things. It's it's all the pieces of who you are and your lived experiences. Just because you look like the person sitting next to you doesn't mean that there aren't cultural nuances in your lived experiences that make you all different. Being culturally competent means taking it a step further and becoming aware of and respecting the cultural differences of others. This school leader didn't make any statement about these middle school students or like how they should know how to set up and fluff trees. She simply saw this as a learning opportunity, as a sharing opportunity. She shared about her experience growing up in connection to the holidays, the joys and the struggles. And this was a wonderful opportunity for her to be authentic and vulnerable with the students to connect and build relationships. And doing this type of sharing creates a safe space where students understand that they can also share authentically. They don't have to pretend that they are one way or another. In order to effectively leverage the equity lens, you need to become and work on remaining culturally competent so that you're aware of your own beginnings, your journey, the beautiful and the broken pieces of who you are. If you're looking to do this with real-time support, then join me and the culture crew and participate in the culture-centered teacher training series. This is a program I designed to train and coach educators through the process. I talk a lot about working with schools and districts, but this is a program that you can actually access individually. I'll make sure that I link to it in the show notes so you can get more information. The second tip for centering equity in your classroom is connected to the National Equity Project's explanation that says, ensuring equally high outcomes for all participants in our educational system, removing the predictability of success or failures that currently correlates with any social or cultural factor. Although it is important to consider social and cultural identity markers like race and gender and religious beliefs, socioeconomic status, these should not be a box that defines and limits the opportunities for any student. A lesson's level of academic rigor should not shift because students are BIPOC, which stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. Academic rigor teaches students to think deeply and critically and solve problems. Rigor is not defined by the text. It's defined by what students do with the text, how they think about the text and make connections with the text, between the text. According to the 2015 Edutopia article titled A New Definition of Rigor by Brian Stabnick, 
Rigor is the result of work that challenges students' thinking in new and interesting ways. It occurs when they are encouraged toward a sophisticated understanding of fundamental ideas and are driven by curiosity to discover what they don't know. That is a lifelong skill that when taught and practiced in class, encourages higher order thinking, boosts academic confidence, and increases student engagement. Coaching teachers in the culture crew on how to intentionally center equity in this way, it's a key component. A third tip for centering equity in your classroom is borrowed from the amazingly intelligent and insightful Dr. Goldie Muhammad. I had the pleasure of hearing her speak at NCSS 2022 in Philadelphia. It was incredible. So tip number three is to cultivate genius and unearth joy in the learning experience. Cultivating genius means to recognize the multiple forms of genius that exist and to actively, intentionally develop them. This brings joy back into the teaching and learning experience. In order to do this, you have to consider the unique talents and abilities, the gifts that each student possesses. In doing this, you consider their individual needs, not just the collective standard that all students are required to reach and the singularly focused lesson designed to teach to that standard. Make joy the standard, the goal. Make genius the standard, the goal. If every student realizes their genius and is joyfully learning all the things, can you imagine the impact on our world? Not just the impact professionally, but personally. Joyful, genius people. Students, what a shift. There are so many ways to identify genius and unearth joy, but the first step is making the decision to believe that there are multiple geniuses. There are multiple paths to joy. Believing that students should be able to experience being viewed as a genius and feel that sense of pride and joy. The second step is to take action on that, is to say, yes, I am going to boldly step out into this space where I am centering, identifying the genius in every student and focusing on centering joy in the learning experience. I highly encourage you to grab Dr. Goldie Muhammad's books and soak in all the goodness. And of course, I am always here to partner with you on this journey. If you are curious about what it's actually like to be in a coaching session with me, I will be sharing more about that in season three, so stay tuned. But for now, I want to just encourage you, remember that you are the most important tool in your teacher toolbox. You are so valuable. And I just want you to know that I see you and I appreciate you listening to this podcast every single week as you are continuing to elevate. In the next two episodes, we are going to be talking about culturally aware spaces and diversity affirming spaces. Until then, have a great rest of your week. That's a wrap on today's episode, but it doesn't have to be a wrap on the intentional action you're taking in your classroom. Now, I know you're headed over to go grab your free resource because everybody loves free, but let me tell you what the next best action is. It's to hop on a coaching call with me so that you and I can talk specifically about your lessons and the dynamics in your classroom. I want to make sure you are fully supported on your journey as you are creating inclusive and welcoming and affirming lessons for all of your students. So head over to customteachingsolutions.com and click on the link to schedule a coaching call. I cannot wait to talk to you then.